officially wake you. Uh, happy April. Um, you know, I hate April 1st. Like, uh, like I hate practical jokes. I just like deepen my thoughts. Um, you know, I've tried to grow in that respect and learn to appreciate them, or at least the intent behind them, but it's actually a hard day. You know, I find myself, you know, through the day constantly being tricked. Um, but I'm not going to do that to you tonight. That is always inappropriate. <laughs> a message from scripture. Uh, we're going to come, no joke, to Malachi. We're coming to the end of the Minor Prophets. And that means Malachi. Malachi was, in fact, uh, the last, uh, historically, of the prophets after him. I mean, we know from Jewish sources, prophecy ceased um, among the Jews for uh, 500 years. So he, he prophesied in the middle of the 5th century. Malachi means messenger, um, you know, uh, literally angel or messenger. Uh, that's what his name meant. And, you know, Malachi, it's very little prophecy. Um, I'm not actually going to focus on the things it's most famous for, the prophecy of, you know, Elijah's return, that's John the Baptist, the prophecy of uh, the one who will come, the messenger of the covenant, who will come suddenly to his temple, um, the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Malachi 3, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, and I'm going to talk about heaven's windows. Heaven's windows. So you can follow along with me as I read uh, God's word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, bless this your word uh, to, to our hearing. Uh, may it pierce through uh, whatever we're uh, preoccupied with tonight. May we be able to listen to it and to receive it by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So yes, windows, uh, uh, the windows of heaven. This is years ago now. You know, my son came home from first grade, and he said, heaven has windows, you know, and I'll say, it does, and thankfully my mother was there, who's more biblically literate than I, and she said, oh, Malachi 310, <laughs> um, heaven has windows, and indeed it does, actually a, a, a powerful and central image in uh, the Old Testament understanding of, uh, of the world, and in uh, Hebrew cosmology, right, it's like we are here on the earth, and uh, there, there the, there's the heavens, and then the windows open, and the floods come, uh, the rains, uh, in this case, to bless um, bless the people. So there's this promise that the windows of heaven, heavens will open uh, to the people. And what you know, what is what is Malachi? The, the prophecy, uh, it, you know, it's distinctive because it has a dis disputation format. There's a question and answer, right? It's sort of a there's a uh, an allegation uh, from God, and then a complaint, a complaining response uh, from the people, and then a response from God, and and that's repeated six times. 
in the prophet Malachi. And we see one here in the passage that I've read, where God is saying to them, you've robbed me. And they say, they respond, how have we robbed you? And the answer is in their tithes and in their contributions. So, so that's uh, what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about first about what we owe God, what we owe God, and second about what God has promised us, uh, and last about living in a land of delight. There in verse twelve, living in a land of delight. So first, uh, what, what do we owe God? I mean, what do you feel you owe other people? Like, who do you owe? Your debts, outstanding, um, like financial or relational debts, maybe you've wronged someone. No, I don't know, we, we hate that idea of owing someone anything. We were just, uh, Christina and I, uh, we were helping a young, a young alum uh, with her taxes, you know, she was having to pay taxes for the first time, which is uh, really, let me just forewarn you, it's a shocking and horrifying experience. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, like, you know, like, like if you work, maybe some of you have experienced this, uh, you know, if you work as a, uh, an RCA, right, they don't withhold taxes. So you come to tax time and all of a sudden, bam, you got the whole tax burden. You got to pay it out of pocket. Does anyone warn you about that? <laughs> University? No. They don't warn you, right? No, it just happens, right? They're just like, here's the money and you think it's your money. And then April comes around and the government, U.S. government said, even if you're Welsh, the U.S. government says, it's, my, it's our money. It's our money. And, uh, and if you don't give it to them, they'll throw, throw you in jail. Just that warning. You know, warning bad, or at least support you. So, so, you know, let us know if you need a love. Um, and so owing, you know, is a very painful thing to owe money. Um, and and we, don't, we don't like to owe. I mean, we like to think that, like, other people owe us. I mean, we like, to, uh, we, we like to think that people are owed stuff in the abstract, right? It's like society owes you, the, the government owes you, the university owes you, right? But often what we're saying there is like, it owes me, society or the government or the university or my friends owe me the things that I want. But it's, it's a whole other very uncomfortable reality to actually owe someone something. And so what was the reality for the people of Israel? Well, they were in covenant with their creator. And what is covenant? I, this came up this morning. I, I go through the Westminster Catechism with my kids, question by question, over breakfast, uh, which they're remarkably cheerful about at <laughs> 7.15 a.m., um, you know, teaching my, my seven-year-old, uh, you know, 17th century English. But... Um, and uh, this morning it was it was uh, you know uh, this, the, the 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 how did God create us? He created us in uh, uh, with a covenant of life. Adam and Eve in the garden were in a covenant of life on condition of perfect obedience. So I asked my kids, you know, what's a covenant? You know, Joshua said he's old enough that he has an answer to that. You know, what is a covenant? It's a pact. That's what he said. It's a pact. Uh, something stronger than a pact, right? It's something stronger than a pact. Like it's. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, this is more between the people of Israel and, and, and the Lord. This is more than a financial arrangement, right? This is more than an investment. Maybe I mean, you're Princetonians who should understand finance if you don't yet already, right? You, know, you, you might make an investment, like, oh, I make promises. My wife works in finance. You know, it's like you set up an investment vehicle. You, 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 you take capital from those who have capital, and you invest it with those who have a business plan with the hope of a return on investment. Right? That's how rich people use money to make money. 
It's an amazing thing. Um, how Prince is paid for, FYI. We're <laughs> using money to make more money. Thank you, Prince. Um, and uh, this is something beyond that. That's just business, right? That's just business, right? My wife is a lawyer, works in finance. She, she sets up limited liability corporations for particular investments. Limited liability is you're limited. If it goes broke, what you lose is only what you put in. A covenant is this is not limited liability. This is not limited liability. This is I created you. I care for you. In the relationship with the people of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I have saved you and I have preserved you. I covenanted with you uh, on Mount Sinai that uh, to grant you uh, the law, the truth, the very oracles of God, that if you follow them, you will be blessed. And so this is more akin, the closest thing we have, this is language for Malachi. Marriage is a covenant, right? Ought to be. It aspires to be. Obviously, our marriages uh, are broken in various ways, marred by um, our, our sin and our failing, but it's a covenant, right? When we, no, one, no one enters into marriage even in the modern day and sort of a crass, limited liability. Well, I mean, we do. Free now. We do. I mean, that's true. Lawyers, lawyers have found a way to create limited liability marriages. But as you, any divorce lawyer can tell you, thankfully my wife's not a divorce lawyer, as any divorce lawyer can tell you, there is no limited liability in divorce. Right. There's no limited liability. When it goes wrong, it goes wrong. Because you're seeking a relationship, a pact, to use the word my son used this morning for covenant, that is marked by love, that is marked by total commitment. Total commitment. Total care. Total offering of oneself. Uh, total faithfulness to follow through on promises and blessings. And so it's a very serious thing that they're holding back tithes. Right, what is tithe? I mean, it means 10. So as part of the Old Testament law, you have to tithe 10% of your income. This comes up at tax time. Like, do you tithe on the pre-tax or the post? Right? People love to ask that question at church annual meetings. Uh, you're too young for that. You'll ask that someday. You know, what, what do I tithe on? Uh, tithe on the percentage you want less. That's the standard response. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, so they were called, right? they, were, they, were, they were commanded to tithe. And here, and they're holding back. So this is, you know, at this stage in Israel's history, they come, but they've been brought back from exile, right? Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. The people of Judah were carried off into this long exile in uh, Babylon, uh, carried off by the Babylonians. Then when the Persians overthrew the Babylonians, the Persians let them come back. They come back, they rebuilt the Desert and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall. Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple. They, they, they reestablished uh, the reading of the, the law and obedience to the law. But they were like a little scrappy, struggling group of uh, returned exiles. And the temple was small compared to the first temple, the Solomon's temple. It was small compared to Herod's temple that existed in Jesus' time. And so they were struggling. And uh, one of the things, one of the responses we see um, was uh, a stinginess. With each other, an exploitation of the poor, uh, we see a corruption among the priesthood, and we see a stinginess to God and to others, a selfishness. Right? Like, if you think, like, what, what would be the land of delight for you? That's the promise in verse 12. There will be a land of delight, says the Lord Post. What would be your land of delight? Like, you know, I don't know. Now, five years from now, ten years from now, what would be like? What would be it? And, I, you know, the average person who, when they come to tax time, is like, my land, the land would be paying less taxes. And when they come to 
the idea of giving to the church would be like, my land of delight would be giving no more than is like completely convenient for me to give. Right? I mean, we're the same in terms of relationships. My ideal land of delight in my relationships is not being asked anything that I don't want to be asked of in terms of outlay of time or money or even more emotional energy. Right? Now, we don't treat our friends. We want them to outlay on our schedule what we want emotionally, financially, otherwise, in time. But we don't like that. And they didn't like that. And so they're not bringing in the tithe, right, which would support the worship of God in the temple. They're not bringing in the tithe. Where your money is, there your heart is. It's actually a hard thing to talk about to college students. Because I don't know, do you feel you love money? Is your life ruled by money? Are you preoccupied with financial concerns? Uh, this room is full of, actually, it's like a really rare moment, a really rare place in the whole world, and a really rare moment in your life where perhaps... I mean, some of you may be very aware of poverty and very much in financial aid, but Princeton students as a category are, tend to be very sheltered from money, either by your families or by the university, right? I mean, we're often, we're all like, we don't, don't sell out, don't sell out, you know? And when you came to Princeton, you sold out the moment you came to this campus, right? Like the campus spends on you like an order of magnitude what the average university has spent on them. Uh, maybe your parents, are, even if your parents pay full freight, um, which is a good number of you here in the room, even if that's true, Princeton spends more on you than that, by a large amount, by a large amount. I mean, just think how much money, it's insane, you know, more than the average family lives on by a, several, several multiples is spent on each one of you for your education. And so it's hard to talk about money because it's very easy. It can be, and again, I, you know, forgive me if you are very like much in need right now financially. Uh, I mean, talk talk to one of us if you're in need financially. But if you think that you are above money, the love of money, just know you are not. Just know that you are not. Take my word for it. The older you get, the more responsibilities you have. The more some of your friends are rich and you're not, um, or you're rich but you know people who are richer. <laughs> the more you will realize you love money. You really, really love money. But it is hard. It is hard to talk about here. But this is, this is just a fundamental check. I don't think, this is, I, I, I want to apply this. What we owe God is more than money, but it's not less than money. Right? It is, in a very concrete way, necessary, if we love the Lord, that that show up in where our money goes. No question. Whether it's small or large, whether you have little money or a lot of money, it is crucial that our faith be reflected in where our money goes. Because if all our money goes to our pleasures, then what we say is we worship our pleasures. And that's what we value. And we say we owe God nothing. And by extension, we, we owe other people nothing, except when it's convenient, except when we feel like it. So, so consider that. Consider that now. You don't, you don't want an attitude like, like you know, tithing or, or giving to the church in a principle dedicated way, which is a free, a free will offering as Christian. If you're a Christian, it's, it's not a tax, right? We don't examine in church who gives what. It's, it's a free will offering. I, I mean, I've been in church, churches where they, you, they hide it from the pastors, right? You have a financial team 
who knows who gives what. You, hide, you literally create a barrier so the pastors don't know. I mean, most pastors kind of want to know because um, it is literally their living. But uh, they, there's, there's, there are those barriers. But nonetheless, you should have that consideration. And in terms of how your money is, how generous you are towards others, that is a big theme in all the minor prophets and certainly in Malachi of care for those who are in need. And that is a crucial part of what the church spends its money on, care for those who are in need. So are you generous? Are you generous? Certainly you owe back to God. But we owe something more. We owe all that we are. All that we are. Why? Because God is our creator. Not just our creator, that's enough. But also because he has loved us and shown mercy to us and provided a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so what do we owe God? We owe every view of God's mercies, present yourselves as living sacrifices, Paul says. Your whole life. So what do we owe God first? Second, God's blessings. God's blessings. Uh, what has God promised us? Because that's actually this. This is a really striking passage, right? Verse 10, it says, put me to the test. Right? Bring in the full tithe and thereby put me to the test. Should we test God? Trick question. <laughs> Should we test God? You can just say the answer. No. No, there we go. There we go. I mean, this is, this is Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And you know who quotes that? Jesus, to whom? To the devil, when Satan is tempting him. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And, uh, and that's true. I mean, Gideon gets away with it in the book of Judges. Um, that's a great, you know, fascinating example of God's patience with Gideon. But, you know, we're, we're not called to test God, like, as if, as if we sit in judgment of God. God jumped through these hoops for me. Right? But what God is saying here is, test my faithfulness. I have promised to bless you. And you think, oh, I can't spare this tithe. I need it. I need this money for me. Test me and see if I am not faithful. That is what God is saying. I will open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And that's, that's the promise right there. I will open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. This is actually, this is actually a verse I struggle with. You know, the kind of like, normally, normally when I talk about, um, you know, money, I, you know, I, I want to present a, a path of the Christian life as, as exiles. We're exiles in a world that groans out for its redemption. And we look to a heavenly city. We're pilgrims looking to a heavenly city. And so, you know, we don't expect, what do we expect in this life? We expect difficulty. What, what do we need? We need to learn the secret of contentment, Paul says. Whether we're in hunger and in abundance, right? Whether we have everything or whether we have nothing. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment, even as he's thanking the Philippians for sending him money. And that's what he's thanking them for. They've remembered their concern for him and they're sending him financial support, which he needed. And as was right proper, right? They were getting, paying forward so that he could minister in the next city, having ministered to them in the past. And so, you know, this, this is like a straight, like God is promising them material blessing. I mean, he is. He's saying, tithe to me, and I will give you more money than you need. I will wipe away every need that you have. You are being short-sighted in thinking that holding back tithes will somehow improve your financial position. Uh, and you know, and that's a little uncomfortable because I don't, I, I don't want to fall into like saying to you, you know, like 
give money to PCF. We take donations, by the way. There's a website, PCFPrinceton.org, has a give tab. And all of our money comes from people like you in five to 50 years. Um, <laughs> but, um, so just, you know, remember us um, five to 50 years from now. And uh, yes, um, I don't want to turn it into like give money to me and then, you know, you'll get more back. Like a straight proposition, limited liability. You know, it's like you invest, I promise you, five to 20% returns, risk-free, risk-free. And you know, there are a lot of preachers out there in the world who, who do peddle that, like often explicitly, like give on your credit card, go into debt to a financial company to give to this church. That's the lesson you should not, that's not giving. Giving by debt is not giving, just FYI. Um, you know, don't borrow money in order to tithe. You can only tithe on what you actually have. Um, so it's a little hard when, like, you know, the first year Christine and I were married, we borrowed more for her law school than I earned. Um, so we had negative income. Anyway, you, 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 <laughs> we were like, should we tithe on negative income? We still tithe on that. Anyway, um, <laughs> these are the hard adulting. Adulting is difficult. Um, adulting is difficult. But. <clears throat> <laughs> Where was I? Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the promises, uh, the, the promises of God, he is promising them material blessing. I mean, he is, in Malachi, specifically to the people of Israel, under the Old Covenant, if you are faithful, then you will be blessed. That, those were, in fact, the terms of the covenant on Mount Sinai. And, and there is still, I, I don't want to spiritualize that away, or, or say that it has no ongoing application uh, in uh, the New Testament era for Christians. Uh, you know, I want to say, actually, that um, being a Christian pays. I mean, if, you forget, if you'll allow me to speak foolishly for a little bit, like, it pays to be a Christian. And when I say pays, I mean, on every level. Like, it pays in your, your uh, um, finances and in your relationships and in your uh, emotional health. And uh, it pays in your relationship with your creator and in saving you from uh, judgment. I mean, in every way it pays. And uh, why, why do I say that? Um, like, like, uh, a friend, you know, years back, he, 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 was, he wrote a book on venture capital. He, he went, he's one of these like Princetonians who went and founded a company and a startup and sold it for a bunch, a bunch of money and then writes a book. <laughs> and it was like, uh, you know, how, how do you raise venture capital? And this is what he said. How do you raise venture capital? I don't know. Anyone want to give an answer? How do you raise venture capital? Fred, forgive me if you don't know what venture capital is. You pitch, okay. Yeah, you gotta make pitches. And the key, this is what he said, the key is having friends. Because venture capital, what that is, is going to someone like, I have an idea, would you give me vast amounts of money to make my idea happen? That's what it is. Who's gonna give you huge amounts of money? Random people? They're just gonna be like, oh, you're so smart. You know, I think I should give you $10 million. No, you need friends. Family helps too, actually. That's your best option. But you got <laughs> friends. You need friends. And uh, the beautiful thing about the church is it forces you to make friends. <laughs> and it forces better, 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 better yet. It forces people to be your friends. Right? 
it's like a requirement of being a Christian is to love one another. Like, it's literally the mark of being a Christian. That doesn't mean you have to give people millions of dollars. You know, my, my, my chain of reasoning has some holes in it. Um, but just as a practical matter, I mean, you know, my, my wife is always being offered jobs. And why? Because she has friends. I don't think she's a skilled worker, but she has friends, right? She has friends. Uh, many of them, Christian friends, if people do this, like they're always asking her for like opinions, oh, we need to fill this position. Who do you know who can fill this position? And they ask her because she always knows someone, right? And why? Because they've always been in our Bible study. You know, it became like a joke at a certain point. It's like, oh, it's so-and-so was in our small group, you know? And, uh, right? It's just, you just have a rotation as Christians. You're always meeting people. And like, you know, the Lord has put you here. Welcome. Come into my home. Let's study the word together and pray together. And just as a random side effect, because it is, believe me, it is a, just a side effect. It is not the point of any of the Christian faith. But the side effect is, in fact, good for your finances, no question. Because it develops relationships. And when you're broke and you have nothing, what you do is you go to a Bible study and you mention it as a prayer request. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I read this, it was this New York Times article. It was like... Uh, you know, this, this poor secular New Yorker, they, they were like studying evangelicals, you know, and they went to a Bible study of like, I don't know, it was Redeemer Church in Manhattan, and the people were praying, and someone like, you know, was like needed $1,000 for a medical bill, you know, and they asked for prayer, and then like the next week, like they had $1,000 for the medical bill, you know, and, uh, and this, this reporter was just shocked, right, because of course they were committed in theory to owing people care, but they were not committed to it in practice. Whereas if you're a Christian, you must be face-to-face, knowing people, talking to them, listening to their troubles, praying for them. And you are obligated, we are obligated, not just as individuals, but as the Church of Jesus Christ, in the individual congregations and around the world, to show that love in very tangible ways. And so there are all sorts of ways in which God blesses us. So this is more than that. What God is promising here is if we are faithful, we will receive blessings. Uh, it's not just like, if you are faithful, there will be all these great side effects of being in community, which will give you people who can help you out, help you get a job, or help you out when you're in need, and more importantly, who can care for you, and more importantly, who can minister to you, and who can teach you and proclaim uh, the good news of Jesus Christ to you, day by day, week by week, year by year, both when you are hard to get along with and when you're easy to get along with. That's just, but God is saying if you are faithful, like you want to live in the land of the light, it comes from worshiping our Creator and being in relationship with Him. That's what it comes from. It doesn't come from selfishness. It doesn't come from hoarding your money for yourself. God has promised to take away every need, to satisfy all that we have, This is chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way. This is about prophesying about John the Baptist. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's Jesus coming 500 years on from Malachi. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And he will be a refiner's fire. I mean, you know, it is not easy. He will purify but then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, 
of the, those who worship God will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old. And so there's this tremendous promise from God to provide us all that we need, forgiveness of our sins, redemption, love, care, a calling, being part of the kingdom, being sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, being in right relationship with him. So this is what God has promised. So last, let me talk about living in the land of delight. So, I, you know, I asked a little bit earlier, like, what is your land of delight? And what would that be for you? I mean, I, I, some of you may behave introspection. I love introspection uh, way too much. It's, it can be very unhealthy. But uh, introspect with me a little bit. Right? What, what would your land of delight be? What would be great? Um, a great place to live in. Just, you know, think to yourself. Well, what do you hope for in five years? What do you hope for in ten years? You know, what, what are you currently working towards? Your, your time and your effort, your ties, so to speak, what are they aiming towards? I think the prophets in general are providing a fundamental challenge to what we in our natural state, marred by sin and rebellion against God, think will bring us the life think we are well that we think we are made for. And it's this challenge, you know, because what, what do we think if you if we're just left to ourselves, where do we end up? You know, I think back years ago this was we were buying a table um, from some some people we knew on our street in Van Diementer Avenue. <clears throat> um, this couple couple we knew, just in Pats and you know, neighbors you talk to them. We were buying a uh, a patio set from them. And uh, so we went into their apartment and uh, um, you know, it's really striking. Well, you know, wonderful people, but um, you know, their living room had uh, a love seat. Uh, that's a seating for two. That was the only normal seating. And then, then there was a dining room table, a small one, a high table with two stools. So you know, you couldn't repurpose the two stools to sit with the love seat. And uh, and that was it. The spare bedroom was a huge office. Right, this is, this is modern living, this is like COVID living before it was COVID, right? You have all this living space and it's all devoted to like where I work. And I, I remember being there and thinking like, if they had one guest over, where would that guest sit? Right, they have a love seat and their dining room table seats two. And they can't, they can't, they can't make, make, make the one work with the other. Like if their parents came to visit, how would they have a meal together? Right. And this is the, the like you, you gotta watch yourself because that actually in your, your particular the particular like socioeconomic uh, life that Princeton tends to propel you towards, that's the path of least resistance. Right? Space for just me, or you know, your highest idea would be find someone to marry, and then space for just two, just us. That would be it. And the church. You know, the church is, is, is often only a little bit better um, than that, like, space for two and no, no, no other room uh, in your life. You know, sometimes in the church, it's like, I want six or I want eight. You know, I want, like, a few good friends. I mean, this is, this is like a good desire. I hope you have a few good friends. I do. Um, that's been a harder and harder thing culturally for people. They've traced that decline. 
right, and the percentage of people who say, oh, I have someone in my life who I can share my things with. Often in the church, this is what we do, is we can find that. If I can find a, a small group Bible study with six or eight, or, you know, people I talk to after half and half, or after church, um, like those three people, then I'm done. When people find it, then they're like, okay, I'm done. Right? That was hard. I mean, making friends is difficult, right? It requires, but like everything else in life, it requires reps, you know, it requires investment of time. It's a, it's, it's a skill that comes through discipline. And frankly, it requires the Holy Spirit to be a work in your hearts, to be able to forgive others, to be able to, to go the extra mile uh, and listen when you don't feel like it, to, to care for others when they're not uh, uh, giving it back to you, right? You, you, you often have to invest, find the pump, uh, a great deal in a friendship, uh, or in a person's life, right? We, we, don't, we, we don't just show up um, healthy and mature and able to love others sacrificially, right? That's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so often in church, if you are a Christian, then, we, then we're just like that. Or even if you're not a Christian, that's often what we do. It's like you come to Princeton, once you found your click, then you're done, right? You're set until graduation. And I want to push against that. I mean, I hope you have that. You know, it's, it's kind of tough as a staff member. Sometimes you're, you're praying, Lord, may they have a click to join so they have at least a few friends. You know? But then once they, once they have a click to join, you're like, Lord, may they expand their click to include newcomers. You know, <laughs> there's this like stages, um, uh, stages of prayer for, prayer for folks. But the, the land of delight is not that either. It's not like just me by myself, me and the internet. Nor is it like me, I found one person, you know, who I want to spend my life with. It's not that either. That's far too limited. That's a lot, frankly, to put on a relationship. But it's also not just you and like three people, or you and six people. The land of delight is an outpouring of your life in service to God. And I'm not going to lie to you, like, there are aspects of that that are hard work. But you know what it is to work hard for a goal and to suffer, right? Now, maybe the goals you're working for are worth the suffering, and maybe they're not. We can talk about that another time. I'm happy to get opinions on your life choices. <laughs> but that investment in offering all of yourself to the Lord is worth it. It pays off. Put God to the test. That discipline, here's someone new. I don't have the energy. No, I, the Lord has put them before me. I'm going to reach out and talk to them. Oh, no, you know, they're doing poorly. You know, we were just having a fun conversation. It was just jokes. Now, all of a sudden, like, they actually have some trouble in their life. Like, I didn't sign up for that. Um, you know, go that extra mile. Pray. I'm praying the moment. Lord, by your spirit, enable me to give what I don't think I have or what I don't want to have and make that a, a discipline. It's the same in our worship to God. You know, we, we can feel it's like, oh, I have to, you know, there's, there's a strong fundamental sense of commitment in, in time, right? Like no one ties who isn't committed wholeheartedly, right? You show up. You're present. You're willing to serve. Money is, that you're willing to give money is uh, a reflection. I mean, it's very rare. I mean, just frankly, if you do analyses of those who give, it's those who, uh, it's, it's sort of the same cross-section of like people who, like they're not naturally good singers, but they sing loudly in church because <laughs> they love God more than they care about, 
you know, um, whether or not the note was right, it's the same people who get it. And those reps, like what are you working hard for in order to achieve? Let it be building the kingdom of God. There is the land of the light. Worshiping God as he's called you to worship him, coming to him daily in prayer and honor, glorifying him as we were. It was very moving. You know, this morning I had a Hebrew text. I, 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 like, I, I, I reviewed 460 Hebrew words this morning. You know, and it's great, like these songs that we sing there, and so many of them are inspired by the psalms. So I'm just sitting there like doing the Hebrew word for each one, you know, down, uh, down the way. You hear like the praise of God that just runs through the history of the church from the psalms and the rest of scripture down into our own worship psalms uh, today. This is what we're called to do, to worship God, to come daily, not just in worship, but also in repentance, recognizing that we need forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. We need, I mean, this, the Old Testament law was inadequate. We cannot be obedient. Jesus Christ has been obedient. His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to provide justice for our sins, to pay the price, and at the same time, uh, to show us mercy and love. Offer yourself up in worship, in repentance, in obedient faith going forward. Show that in very concrete ways in loving other people within the church, in sharing your faith, in giving of your financial resources. And there is the land of the, of the light. I, I want to say like one of the hardest parts about being a college student being, being, being a, uh, is that you are isolated from the elderly. Right? I mean, it's, it's an amazing community on campus. And like the energy that you have is remarkable. Um, but the, the danger is you don't know. You haven't seen it proved out. Right? How, how do you know? Like, well, what should you bet your life on? Should you bet it on um, narcissistic uh, ambition seeking? Maybe. How do you know? <laughs> um, money? Like, uh, should you bet it on uh, worshiping, worshiping God, reading the scripture? Like, does that pay off? This is where I would encourage you. You need to know older saints. You need to know older saints. Who proved it out? You need to know the elderly people. Reunions, frankly, is useful, useful in this way for me. I remember, you know, as a student, I, I was at reunions. We come to reunions. I know we haven't had it in a couple of years, but, like, it is weird. <laughs> wonderful and weird and uh, a little disturbing, um, but also wonderful. And, uh, you know, I know these, these old guys who, who got to Princeton at that time in the 30s, so it was the older guy. I was working at the union. And, uh, um, and I remember one of the old guys saying, you know, I said, well, it's not like our family suffered in the Depression. You know, these were old. Uh, <laughs> Princeton in the 30s, right, you know. Um, they were a bunch, bunch of rich men. And uh, all, all their days. And, but I remember just, just marveling, like, talking to alums who their, their best years of their life were when they were undergrads. And uh, how, de how, dis how enlightening, illuminating a reality that is. Right? These are the best years of your life. And then I, I just compare it with knowing older saints I've known, who just, from their childhood, oh, devoted themselves to serving the Lord. They had tested the promises of God. And they lived their whole life worshiping God, living uh, as sinners saved by grace. And, uh, and the outcome of that, down to the end of their life, even to the point of that. 
And um, for them, the best years of their life were not when they were college students. Right? Because the, best, the quality of their life was not defined by how, when they were healthy or beautiful um, or when they had all the pleasures of this life ahead of them or when they didn't have adult responsibilities or whatever it was that makes college the best years of your life. The best the years of their life, even as their burdens grew greater in some respects, even as their physical health declined, their years got sweeter because they were closer to the Lord. And so that's proof, like in my own life. I don't know if you have that. Have you seen that? Do you know that? Proof, evidence. I mean, we love evidence, right? Isn't that what they teach you in class? Evidence-based. <laughs> evidence-based. Well, compare and contrast. Consider carefully what God has promised to you. Consider what you owe the Lord God, your creator, the Lord of hosts. And consider what is the land of delight that he has promised to you. What is the path he is calling to you in this life? Amen. Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this time. I thank you for the words of Malachi that can speak to us down over two and a half millennia. And yet, all the truth that is needed for the 21st century um, was already there thousands of years ago. And here we are uh, doing the same foolish things generation after generation, century after century, thinking uh, we know better in ourselves. And so help us, Heavenly Father, to uh, turn away uh, from our own ways and come before you in humility and kneel before your throne, proclaiming you as Lord and God, uh, receiving with joy the promise that you are a Father to us and we are your children. Turn away, Heavenly Father, from from sin and rebellion, and seeking your forgiveness, knowing that it is provided in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now help us, Heavenly Father, uh, help my brothers and sisters here, even from an early age, to commit their lives to uh, walking in obedience to you. And may that be evident in how they spend their money. And may they be marked by generosity, generosity to your church and your people and to those who are in need. Free us, Heavenly Father, from the love of money, even especially if we think we don't have it. Uh, when it creeps up on us and finds us uh, over the years, help us to turn away from that. Help us, Heavenly Father, not merely to tithe financially, but to tithe with our time, to tithe with our relationships, to open up our lives in a consistent way, day by day and year by year, that we might be those who build your kingdom, who extend your love, that we, we wouldn't love people only in theory, but in fact, knowing that you delight to use us, each individual person, to build your kingdom. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that that would be true. And I pray, Heavenly Father, what needs there are here tonight, I'm sure there are many, many needs on different levels and in different ways. Lord God, we claim your promises that you will take away every need. We know that for the world that is to come, but we ask even now that you would pour out blessings, that you would use us uh, to care for one another. And where there are needs and brokenness uh, in people's hearts and souls and their lives, hidden sins, where there's financial need, where there are where there's need to help for help with problem sets or with advice 
um, with just a hug or an encouraging word, Heavenly Father, help us to be your hands and feet to accomplish that. Bring those. Make 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 people uh, make us bold, Heavenly Father, to share with one another, to, to go out on a limb and to get to, to claim uh, the, those promises that are there in Christian community. To claim that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.